Hello there. Welcome to Storytime at the Ape's Nest. I am your host, a regular human dude, like the kind you'd meet in a sauna, or at a hot dog stand. I am definitely not a computer. No. My name is Johnny James Geo. Would a computer have a kick-ass name like that? I doubt it. Now that we've established my bona fides as a regular human dude who spits and wears harnesses and smells like old leaves, we can get down to business. That business is introducing today's story. It's a real corker. It's about truffles. You know truffles, those French stink rocks that smell like an angel's rectum. Mmm, good. I love them. I eat them every week when my copy of the New Yorker arrives, which I definitely always read. Anyway, this corker of a story is called Among Us, and it's by Bill Brain. I hope you dig it. That first truffle entered Sabina's sinuses first, like wasabi. But a wasabi of mud and armpits, murky, dank compounds, slipped into her nasal atmosphere and poured between her parted lips just ahead of the fungus itself. The boyfriend who gave it to her had taken it on impulse from his restaurant job on his last day, which turned out to be his last day as her boyfriend, because she said, bring me another taste tomorrow, and he said, but I quit, and she said, get out. She read about truffles that night, then checked her bank balance, and in the morning, she bought an airline ticket to Serbia. Her main question, how could she find a giant truffle and get to eat it in tiny bites for the rest of her life, maybe one a day, maybe a single shaving before bed? Wikipedia was little help, but it had directed her to Serbia, where they still sought truffles in the old way, and where she figured she could get to the bottom of this. She woke over Iceland to turbulence and fart smell and slept again fitfully. Her nose delivered weird dreams, her ex-boyfriend's B.O., a pig snuffling, cologne, airline food, and in that dream she followed those odors, each a distinct thread, until she realized they emanated from a single source, a single, giant, mountainous, bulbous, lumped, and corrugated varicose tuber, a truffle, the queen truffle, an earth truffle, and she leaned forward to bite it, but awoke as the plane banked on approach. In Belgrade, Sabina was relieved to hear English. Her only Serbian was please, thank you, and tartuffe. She asked everyone where to find them. At one pension, they had a map and pointed. She took a bus. In a tavern there, there was a dish of beef with truffles in the sauce. Sabina placed a hot morsel on her tongue and felt a lessening of a burden she had only vaguely felt. This was real. She asked the chef about the source. Of course, this close to the source of something so expensive, no one's going to be, like, divulging. The chef pretended ignorance. Some Slavic denials and polite confusion communicated this pretend lack of understanding until it became ludicrous. So Sabina stepped closer to the chef than he was expecting, and she whispered the word again, tartuffe, into his ear with urgency. He coughed nervously and asked her to come back the next day. The next day she came to the bar at the tavern and pretended not to notice a fat man with a beret who passed the window a couple of times. She heard him enter the kitchen at the back and speak with the chef. Then he came in and sat two stools over from her at the bar and sipped schnapps. 
He gave a big cheeky smile, toasted her, and turned back to watching soccer on the television. I mean, she knew. She could smell it. He dealt in tartuffe. The chef brought out five little dishes with truffles. Celery root with chestnuts, baked garlic, raw beef sliced as thin as your friend's excuse not to be here tonight. The source was watching her, and she knew it was a test, so she took a bite of the contents of each ramekin and plate. Then she separated the dishes, pushing forward the one with the superior tuber in it. This one, she said to the man. The source nodded, said, Come, and walked out to his truck. Isvor's farm was at the edge of a forest at the base of some hills. Some of the barns and sheds came around to make a dooryard. As Sabina and Isvor arrived, grown children and a burly wife emerged, along with a mess of dogs. They greeted her in a sort of old country way, warmly, with the threat of later snide political questions. She caught a sidelong look from one shifty nephew, with an engaging piece of hair falling down over his forehead, but also a missing tooth, so... After dinner, most of the family wandered off to watch television, but Isvor stood and took her out to one of the barns. The farmer led her along the pens under yellow bulbs, past pigs. In the last pen on the left, one stood against the bars and seemed to be waiting. He made deliberate eye contact with Sabina. She knew it was a he because she knew a set of male eyes when she saw them, and also because he had giant balls. Isvor gestured proudly and said, Ilvis. Of course, she said, and squatted before the hog. Ilvis was hairy, black on top and gray-yellow below, with a mop of curly hair on his head. He is Mangalitsa, Isvor said, and mimed the hair. But Sabina did not see as she was assessing the hog much as he was assessing her. His snout rose and he sniffed. His small eyes roved over her. Then he nodded and laid down and exhaled, evidently satisfied. Thus began her training. Up at dawn with the nephew and a daughter and Isvor, each taking two dogs or a pig and having them sniff out truffles placed beforehand. The dogs, idiots, eagerly played along. The pigs, except Ilvis, were barbaric and selfish and crafty. It was clear Ilvis did not need to train. On the third night, Sabina snuck out and slept in the empty pen across from Ilvis, taking a horse blanket from the other barn and piling clean straw. She rose before the others and drank from the hose. Later that morning, she shoved one of the dogs out of the way and buried her face in the turf under a hornbeam tree, chasing the scent of a summer truffle placed by the nephew an hour earlier. The dog whimpered, but she snarled at it when she came up with the saliva-coated tuber in her mouth. On her knees in the grass, it took an effort not to chomp down, but she mastered herself and stood and wiped it off on her jeans before placing it in the bag. The daughter saw and laughed. Ilvis, watching nearby, gave a snort and turned his back. She wiped some dirt off the side of her mouth. From then on, she slept in the pen each night after training and dinner. No one mentioned it. On the sixth morning, Sabina awoke and could smell them in the forest. The aroma from up on the slopes pulled at her, and the only thing holding her in the dooryard that morning were the gossamer threads of her ties to the new world. Mortgage, salary, her return ticket. She was squatting beside the spigot when Izvor came out with a cup of Turkish coffee and handed her a boiled egg. Today, we go up, he said, inclining his chin toward the forested hills. 
But you stay at the back, this Ilvis. She ate the egg looking up into the trees on the ridgeline. Why, she said. Ilvis can teach you better from the back, he said. And then Isvor told her the story about the old witch that used to live in these parts, and how the witch had missed a feast of truffles thrown by the duke in the village and cursed the duke's daughter, who became a pig and hunted truffles forever after until she ran off into the forest and never returned, and how once in a century a woman would come to the country in search of Tartuffe, a woman under a spell, and how they had a name for such a one, Lovak, the hunter. He knew from the moment he saw her, he said, and he was happy because a farmer who met Lovak was sure to have a bounteous harvest for many years. She snorted. Lovak, she said. Then let's go. They went hunting for truffles. Sabina walked at the back and the nephew stayed close. The thirst came off him in waves, but she had a nose mostly for the tendrils and currents of air that drew her on. Fungal odors guided her, pressed like fingers on her temples. Ilvis gradually angled off to the right, leading her along a terrace. Below, she could see the farm and the road and the far ridge. But suddenly the smell of Tartuffe placed a firm palm against her forehead and pushed downward, and she sank to her knees before a smiling Ilvis, who had plopped onto his haunches next to an oak tree whose gnarled roots descended into the earth. Here. She snuffled at the dirt for a second until her nostrils came to rest flat on the ground, and she knew that a mature truffle a smallish one, but potent, was about nine inches below. She looked up at Ilvis. The pig raised an eyebrow. And then they both launched themselves at the spot midway between them, Ilvis with brutal glee, Sabina with a savage urge beyond her control. The boar thrust his snout into the soil and began shoveling it upward while she hooked a hand in the mat of his hair and jerked it sideways. He squealed but did not bite. She punched him and began digging with both hands, pushing soil forward into his mouth. Muscles bunching beneath his hairy coat, the pig bore downward again, rending the earth with face and tusks. Clods flew, thin roots tore, Sabina's nails shattered, and she could feel the distance lessening, sense the shape of the bulbous, fruiting body closer and closer to her fingers. Then the pig butted his great head against her chest, toppling her backwards. As she righted herself and prepared to spring, he inserted his snout into the hole again and nipped the truffle from its mycelium. She sagged. He raised the tuber proudly, held mockingly toward her between pursed lips. He wasn't winded. She was a mess. Back at the farm, Izvor's daughter threw her a towel and said, Lovak, shower. You are not animal. She was stiff and her clothes reeked and her fingers were raw with cracked and bloody nails, so she followed. The shower was warm and the smell of soap tamed her a little. She was sore, but her skin felt alive from wind and sun. Dried and dressed in fresh clothes, she stepped into the hall and heard the sounds of a football match and stalked that way and found a radio playing in the nephew's bedroom and he on the bed, surprised and then arch and knowing until his cocky, snot-nosed expression took on some alarm as she advanced and pulled off her clothes and climbed onto him and he called her Lovak as she taught him what he thought he already knew. Sabina woke in the pen, wrapped in the nephew's quilt with just her gamey work clothes beside her in the straw, stars visible through the high hayloft window, but a cool breeze signaling approaching dawn. She stretched, a memory of pleasure, the last vestige of soap smell. Thinking to step out behind the barn to pee, she rose, but when she stood, her nose came into contact with something new, 
Tartuffe, but different, cold and urgent. Still half asleep, she walked, wrapped in the quilt and without shoes because there was no choice, as the scent moved on ahead of her, retreating, remote, cold. It took her out of the farm, over the road, across a brook, and through a damp meadow into a forest of low trees. The scent swerved right off the path, over roots and moss. She moved faster, head wreathed in a summons, to the base of a stone ridge. She turned along it for a time and then stepped over a small spill of stones onto a fox trail that cut upward into a narrow defile behind the cliff, becoming a deep stone-walled path. Sabina climbed up the rising passageway, squirmed through a gap around a blind wall, and found herself in a steep-sided grotto with a gnarled zapis at its center. It was a holy place. Bronze axe heads and ceramic potsherds were wedged into and grown within the knuckling roots of the old oak. The smoke of long-dead sacrificial fires were baked into the trunk. Beneath all were tartuf, record breakers. But she did not root, for beyond the tree, across the rough circle at the base of the far rock wall, was the cave. A low, eyebrow-arched opening no more than three feet high at the center. And from it, the summons, stronger now, called her. This call was not the musky, brown-toned, salivary allure of the black truffle. This was something else. Something blue, if she had to name it. Something old and... She dropped the quilt at the stone face and lay down on the century of oak leaves and slid forward, being careful of the stone arch above, into the darkness. The family, of course, followed Sabina's trail that day and for years after, but found nothing. Authorities came with paperwork, but over time, the threads that bound Sabina to the plastic world parted one by one until she was just a whisper. In his lifetime, only Ilvis refused to search, but would come along and shake his head and sigh dramatically, and every year find a truffle the size of a grapefruit and give it to Izvor as though it were nothing. But Sabina slid forward into the darkness where she met me. I, who had called to her across the miles, sending one of my children into the world to find Lovak, to summon her, to arm her with the weapon of scent, and to call her to me. For that is how it is done, truffling. We and our mycelia chase through the world, the first life, and if I may, the best. It was I who wrote this story, and thus it is I who speak these words through the useful idiot on this microphone. He will deny it, but only because he does not know what was in the cream of mushroom soup in his tuna casserole on April 16th. I, the earth tartuffe, the mother truffle. Sabina entered my cave, the entry passage where once in a few human generations one is summoned and is permitted to taste of my flesh. Thus I bestow upon her the vision of the first life. This is a hard thing for a primate, and it takes days of fleshly agony. So Sabina lay there and writhed in sweat and cold, in an ecstasy of vision, while the map of all passages, the mycelium of my ancient life, grew in her mind. Then, licking water from the walls, and with my flesh in hand for sustenance, she walked into darkness that was as light for her as day. Fifty miles she walked and scrambled through my caves, emerging from the grotto in my temple, in a city, 
where some few initiates still keep the old ways and where, once in a few generations, a new goddess steps from the darkness in the inner sanctum that is carved into a hill, a woman born gravid and blessed by me, and they name her Tema, the Thread. My priestesses tend her, and when the baby comes, they name it Igla, the Needle, and they send them off, mother and daughter, into the world. And where Tema walks, there truffles come. And where Igla sings, the pigs and the dogs take heed and know that all is well. Thank you, Bill Brain. Thank you for that. Thank you for that story. Hey, do you like the music? That's by Horsewind. You can peep more Horsewind at horsewind.bandcamp.com. Also, there's another live edition of Storytime at the Ape's Nest coming at you. Coming at you like a train made of sex and words and ligaments. Down the tracks. It's going to be on November 10th at Industry Labs in Cambridge. It's part of Hasselfest, which is a blessing on our city. Okay. Bye bye.